Hello and welcome to Trading Movies. I'm Janaid. And I'm Omar. And today we're discussing Oppenheimer. the movie last night 10 o'clock showing in imax uh it's a three hour movie on the dot three hours and uh i think that was the quickest fastest three hours i've ever spent in a single spot in my life not once did i think oh my god the movie is getting too long or it's feeling like it's dragging or no yeah it was just so i mean (laughs) this is a tough movie to break down yeah i'll 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 try to give like a quick plot we'll break down some of like who's involved and whatnot and then we'll get into it so first and foremost it's written and directed by christopher nolan music by ludwig goranson uh it stars uh cillian murphy uh killian murphy uh emily blunt matt damon robert downey jr florence Pugh, josh hartnett casey affleck rami malek in a fantastic role kenneth branagh and gary oldman um in terms of the plot it's a pretty standard biographical movie. The film follows Robert J. Oppenheimer through his life from his time as a student in Europe, learning from the greats in the field of quantum physics, which is in its infancy, to his return to the United States, establishing his own school and ultimately being tapped to lead the Manhattan Project. Through his life, Oppenheimer contends with internal battles, with politics, love, and most centrally with the morality and ethics of what he unleashed on the world, i.e. the atomic bomb, culminating in the latter part of his life being spent trying to temper the expansion of nuclear weapons. That's essentially what the overall story is. But within that, the plot machinations, there are so many different things going on. Yeah. So warning for everyone right now, if you haven't seen it, there's going to be spoilers coming up now. So please watch it and come back after this point to listen to the rest of the podcast. Yeah. If you if you, if you don't want to get things spoiled. So yeah, spoiling now. Um, yes. I thought this was a masterpiece. I, I, absolute masterpiece. Yeah. I, so for anyone who is wondering... Um, is this Nolan's best work? Is this, you know, is this uh, essentially, does this hold up with the other things he's done? Because we know it's going, f- we, we know it's it's a biopic essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so does a biopic um, compare with uh, things he's done in the um, science fiction genre, such as Inception and Interstellar and things like that? You know, does it, you know, does this hold up in terms of his filmography in that sense? So um, I don't think there's a question here. Yeah, I don't think there is. I think this is just um I think this is his masterpiece. Yes. So far at least. Yeah. I I've only seen it once and again I saw it less than twenty four hours ago, but the way I felt walking out of that movie, it's a feeling you rarely get. Yes, absolutely. Especially the ending of it. So there's a few moments in this movie that like plummet you. Yeah. That stand um, out. That really stand out. Um and the ending well the ending comes well there's I mean why don't we start from the beginning then? Well, why don't you describe what you liked about the ending? Well, the, what I liked about the ending was the culmination of the way he his it his subjective mind is shown in terms of what he already was worried about mm-hmm. uh, when he was developing this entire bomb. 
Um, You're talking about the visual of all of the, the visual. Yeah. So that, and then when you see at the end, a zoom into his face slowly, mm-hmm. and as we're zooming into his face, we get quick cuts to modern day nuclear weapons, yeah. to the modern missiles, to him in in a plane. Um, it's uh, chilling. Very, very chilling. And I think that's ultimately what the goal of this movie is, right? Yeah. Is to make it so apparent what the power of splitting an atom is. Yes. How we've done it and what that really means, both practically and also philosophically, right? Yeah. And that's why he always goes back to, you know, Prometheus, which is actually the book, his biography or autobiography, I can't remember which one, uh, because he is the man who bought fire fire from the gods to the mortals, yes. right? And that's that's the whole kind of lens by which he sees himself. Yeah. Um, in terms of going back to the start, uh, they do an excellent job I found of the makeup and hair. So, you know, like kind of what different parts of his life he's at. Yes. So at the beginning, he's got this big, wild, unkempt hair and he's going through Europe and he's a physics, you know, expert expert, and they, they show him as a very, as a genius, right? Like he's like, oh, I spent eight months or eight weeks in Netherlands. So I learned Dutch and I can give a lecture in quantum physics on it. Yeah. Just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Casual. And I mean, the fact that the moment he's only in his mid to late twenties and when he comes back to America, they're like, we're going to give you a school. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's kind of, it's impressive. Right. So that early part of that, the early part of it is just him. It's actually, you kind of, the film just kind of drops you in the middle. Right. It's just like him studying physics and him having these dreams about what we later realize is fission, nuclear fission. And he's, that's just what the whole like first 20 minutes is just him going to different schools and learning. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, uh, I think anyone who knows Nolan knows he's not uh, he's not one to tell stories in a linear fashion. No. So this movie does a lot of um, quick cuts, lots of jumping back and forth in different timelines. Um, what's important to know about this movie is it starts with and we get the we get the cue right off the bat. And like every like every Christopher Nolan movie, this starts as if you are at a climax of <laughs> Yeah. Of, of like it starts like at a running pace. Yeah. So you can't miss anything. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people go into this thinking it's a biopic. I can take a washroom break. I, I know what happens at the end of the movie. I know, and I'm like, no, you cannot. Yeah. No, you really can't. <laughs> you cannot because um, you know, otherwise you're just at what point you come back in the story, what's going on, you will miss stuff and you will have no idea what's going on. Um. So this it sets us up with one and two, right? Mm-hmm. It set it up set us up with fission and it set us up with fusion, mm-hmm. and Fission was the subjective Robert Oppenheimer view, mm-hmm. whereas fusion was his objective view in terms of um, Strauss, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's what the movie essentially, with different flashbacks within those mm-hmm. uh, within those timelines as well. Yeah. Um, but essentially, the uh, movie jumps between fission and fusion. Yeah, throughout the whole movie. Throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's where the whole black and white piece on yes. Robert Downey Jr.'s part. So this movie kind of, like you said, it jumps through a couple of different timelines. So there's, yeah. he's at the beginning, he's in Europe, and he's learning, he's a student. Then it's him as a young professor in California. Then it's him at Los Alamos. Yeah. And finally, it's um, him going through kind of the administrative trial for his security clearance, slash Robert Downey Jr.'s confirmation to become secretary of commerce yes so those are all kind of spliced together those four or five kind of distinct time periods in time uh but i think what nolan does is he weaves that narrative so so well that like yeah you have to pay attention but i think 
I think it's coherent. Like, yes. it, it makes sense. We went to the movie with five, four or five other people, and no one walked out of the movie confused. No one was surprised or didn't understand the movie. Everyone was on the same page. My sister was confused. <laughs> I, I, I explained the movie to her on the way home. <laughs> okay, but then did she get it? You... Then I told her, I explained to her, yeah. and I was like, so you notice the black and white scenes, you notice how... There was, there was like a portion of it that's after mm-hmm. um, after the bomb has already been made and used mm-hmm. and there's a portion of it where there's, there's a development and mm-hmm. all that's going on. She asked me questions and stuff and then she's like, okay. It makes sense. It made sense. I have a feeling yeah. this movie is going to create hours of content on YouTube of yeah. like essays and analysis and yeah. like, hmm, indeed, the language used here, yes, very predominant. Mm. Yes. Indeed, yes. Exactly. That kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, just like the very pretentious kind of analysis, over-analysis of the movie. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of standard Nolan stuff in this in this movie as well. There's the a lot music. Of, the, the music is fantastic and the lack of music, uh, like the, the use of silence. The use of uh, silence, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more when we get to some of the scenes. Um, I think also like just the, the beautiful way in which the movie is shot. So the sh- the scenes in Europe, the way the buildings are captured, but particularly it's the landscapes in New Mexico yeah. at Los Alamos, yeah. which it was breathtaking. Yes. The scenes where they're like riding horses, I'm convinced they only ride horses so that, <laughs> so that he can like take, you know, awesome shots. Yeah. Very handsome, good looking. And this people. is why, please, we recommend you watch an IMAX. Mm-hmm. Because they really come to life in IMAX, these scenes. Both honestly. those scenes and uh, the more CG scenes as well, like the the dreams of fission and also the big, the main kind of centerpiece scene, which we'll get into a bit later. Those all come alive in IMAX. Yeah, it, it's it's a different it's a different story. Uh, what did you think about the dialogue in this movie? Quick, very quick, but that's yeah. expected from a Nolan movie. It was it was witty. Um, I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was probably some of his best work. Yes, I would say so. I think because it was grounded in history um, and it was kind of grounded through, um, uh, through uh, yeah, through, through stuff that actually happened. I also think it's important that, like, this isn't ancient history. It's recent history. It's recent history. So, like, yeah. Robert Oppenheimer, you can read his letters. You can read articles about him. You can read interviews of him, yeah. right? All the characters around him, same thing. Yes. Right? When you're doing, like, Alexander the Great or, I don't know, like, Achilles, you don't have that same breadth of research, exactly. right? And you don't, ha- you can't capture their tone in the same way. Yeah. And what's really specific and good about this story and the re- and when I say good, what, what what's bountiful is that all of these people were prolific writers. They were prolific correspondents with each other, mm. and they were always in the news because they were famous. Yeah. So you have so much research to work on to get their tone, their intonation, and. This was also at a time where television and radio was a thing. So you have recordings of them. You have video of them. So for actors and for the writers, you can really capture the tone and, and the way in which they communicate. And I think that's displayed in this movie. Really yes, well. absolutely. So, um, yeah, the one thing about... So my general gripe with Nolan movies tend to be around... I don't know what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why isn't this as audible as I'd like it to be? And in this one, um, were there parts that were, I, I would have liked to be a bit more audible? Sure. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, it was fine. Yeah. You you got all the conversations. Even the parts where music was really loud, background noise was really loud, and they were talking. You were able to pick up what they were saying. Yeah, you generally got yeah, the gist. You got the, the gist of what they the were message. saying and the message and stuff. So essentially, there's no. Um, that's something that 
you know, like Tenet, for example, it's like, what are they talking about? What are they saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, Tenet, um, Bane. Bane in yeah, Batman, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's generally been something that's like, well, why, why is the dialogue always iffy? If you remember The Dark Knight, they had to re-release the audio. Like the first week, The Dark Knight Rises, right? Uh, yeah, The Dark Knight Rises, yeah. Because first, of Bane. Yeah, because yeah. like, apparently like that first intro scene when he's on a plane, like no one understood what the hell he was saying. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, we need to... We need to redo redo this. Yeah, and then they they, they fixed it up. I, yeah. I I actually remember that because I remember, I remember reading that they had to fix that up when mm-hmm. I when I went to see the movie. Um, the uh the other thing about this movie, the, the, the see, I love the subtle details and the subtle details of if you remember the very first scene of the movie, mm-hmm. it's a very quick scene again. Mm-hmm. It's essentially uh it pans in with um a little I guess puddle. And yeah, the rainwater rain, coming yeah. down into it, and then we get to uh, Oppenheimer's face. Yeah, and then the as a young as a young boy, yeah, as already yeah. a young man. Yeah, um, and then it just goes right into the whole he's a student and this and that, and then the, it ends with him in front of a river or it's a pond, pond, yeah, yeah in front of a pond at Princeton, yeah. and um, we see trickles of rain yeah. in the pond and Same him thing. staring in, but at a completely different point in his life. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really cool. And the dichotomy of those two scenes are important as well. In the opening scene, it's a puddle in an urban atmosphere or environment. And in the end, it's like a very natural pond with greenery around it. He's young in the first one. He's old in the second one. In the first one, he's got hopes and dreams. In the second one, he's realized those dreams and he has to contend with uh, what he's unleashed, yes. right? Yeah. Because in the beginning, he's dreaming about all those things of fission, and then in the by the end, he's seen it, he's right? Seen like, it. and yeah. that that's the that's the clever part is those images and those visions he had. And I think some of that is also Nolan getting in his bag as a filmmaker, because as a filmmaker, it's like you see these images and then you have to turn it into something real, yeah. Right. So that's where yeah. he's channeling his whole like filmmaker thing. He does it with Inception too, yeah. Right, where it's like the if you look at the cast of Inception, it's kind of like, um. Like JGL's character is a producer, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, what's it called? The costume is uh, Tom Hardy's character. The mm. set designer is Ariadne Elliot Page's character. Yeah. Like it's a film set. It's yeah. a film crew, right? Same kind of thing. So he he always puts his aspect as a filmmaker, his view as a filmmaker, yeah. and I think that visual cue of throughout the movie, um, Oppenheimer seeing Fission, and then when he finally sees it in real life. It's so such a good full circle. It's yeah, it's a full and, circle, and, and that's what I love seeing in in a story. Yeah, when it comes full circle, it's such it's such like obvious film stuff. Yeah, but it's obvious because it works exactly right. And there's a reason why film tropes become tropes because they work, and you can execute them well or you can execute them poorly. And what the difference between Nolan movies is, he tends to execute at such a high level. I was I was gonna say what I really enjoyed was that this movie has kind of a few different it's a few different kinds of movies yeah. like it's a it's a it's a research and like science movie it's a putting the team together movie right yeah it's like, it almost feels like a heist almost yeah. the way they're working but then it's also the last third and we talked about this last night it's a legal thriller yes and we haven't had a good legal thriller in a long time yeah and the way the cross-examination the questioning the way you want to punch that lawyer <laughs> right like we're not doing awards in this, but he would be most, the most punchable, punchable face. without a doubt. What's his what's his what's the actor's name again? Uh, I can't remember. He's a good actor. Uh, he's I in remember. Planet of the Apes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good actor. Yeah. Um, but he always plays like an asshole. Yeah. Kind of, he kind always of does. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's I think I think that's this is the first time Nolan has has done anything really like this where 
the last third of the movie, there was no action action. It was just talking. Yeah. And talking in rooms. And what really made it is Ludwig Gordonson's score. The way they use music to amp up tension and, yeah. and to make you feel stressed. Yeah. Uh, it was the last third. I was like gripped to my seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, it's and that's what surprised me about this movie is that I wasn't expecting you know the latter half or even like the last you know, let's, let's say it was an hour or so mm-hmm. of um intense um cross examinations of jumping between a couple of timelines again um and just constant constant tension in courtroom or deposition style settings yeah. um and that's what and you know again I was I wasn't expecting to see that in the movie but then at the same time you're just like gripped because um every scene is straight to the point right there's yeah. no there's no moment of like um okay where it's a little bit of a break in tension it's a little bit of a break in in where the story is moving we can relax a little bit it's just constant you're in your at the edge of your seat so to go like for three hours to be able to write in a way that you know is going to grip everyone like that it's not just writing though it's also the the way he the visual the cut well, the way he cuts it the way, the way he, cut, he yeah. intersperses the scenes and splices them together yeah it's immensely captivating and it might be confusing but i think that's why this movie movie is going to be one of those things where people will just rewatch it yeah it's one of those movies where i think people like don't get me wrong you will have it a lot of deep thoughts after this movie you will yeah. be thinking a lot about your place in the world and what yeah what happens and and you know what would happen in a situation like that but all of that to be said like people will rewatch this movie oh absolutely right like they, they absolutely will it, it's it's actually an ingenious ingenious character to choose because oppenheimer is one of those people who through history he was seen both positively and negatively and very rarely does someone's do opinions on someone shifts between individual people, you know, like some people thought he was awesome. Some people thought like he unleashed the worst thing on the world. Yeah. And it's probably 50, 50 across the globe in terms of what his public opinion is. Yeah. So that's why it's such a great character to, to make a movie on. Absolutely. Yeah. Surprised that they haven't made one before this. (laughs) Yeah. I just think it's, I think it's just, it's just a really hard, like if you really think about it, right. Nolan made a captivating movie about a bunch of guys thinking about physics. There isn't a lot of them engineering. There's yeah. that one scene where they're putting the bomb together, but they don't show the brief, but it's brief. And really it's used as like a visual cue to show how the progress is going forward on the project. Yeah. It's not meant to be like, here's a serious technical issue we need to solve. You're not doing a lot of science science in this movie. They're just having conversations, right? About like, they're like having, they're having like brainstorming sessions. Exactly. See, the thing with this is, I think um, Nolan's aim was not to provide us of, with three hours of science no, and provide not. us with three hours of this is how you make the bomb. No. You know, his his point was, we all know they made the bomb, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's science behind it. I'll give you a brief summary over what that science is through some dialogue, mm-hmm. through some visual cues. And the main question we're asking is, you know, we're trying to look at the emotional and the um psychological state of oppenheimer yeah what did the people who are creating this thing that changed the exactly world feel? so we're looking at and we're looking at the people and we're looking at the after effects we're looking at you know before we're looking at the questions asked mm-hmm. and how big you know building it was engineering work building it and using it or what you know to understand what they were unleashing you know he was he wants to get us in the mindset of we don't know what could happen after this. Well, and and yeah. I think I think they, they hit the nail on the head pretty clearly in the movie when he has the meeting with uh, the president. 
which is he says like i feel like i have blood on my hands yeah right and that's not what i went into this for it wasn't yeah. it wasn't just to kill people right yeah it was to end a war yeah and then he has that realization that no matter what weapon he builds they'll find an excuse to use it yeah, and the, where this movie, uh, the one scene, well, there's many scenes, but the one scene where this movie, I think, asked you a huge question. In terms of the ones, the, the big scene in this movie I found that was like I was being put in that situation, what would I do? Is remember the scene when he's explaining um, to one of the other scientists he wanted on the theoretical team, I believe, and he was saying, and the, and the scientist was uh, responding by saying, I'm not going to be working here because I don't I don't feel good about yeah. unleashing something like this. Mm-hmm. And then Oppenheimer responds and says, we're in a race and, you know, the Germans can have it soon. Mm-hmm. So at some point it's going to happen. We have no choice yeah. to stop it. And then and so when I when uh, that scene was when I put myself in his shoes and I was like, would I think the same way? Would I also think, hey, if I don't come up with it they're going to come up with it. Yeah, and I think I think yeah. that's another aspect where we need to remember that Oppenheimer was a Jewish person, right? Yeah. And and the Nazis were building this weapon and it was knowledgeable at least in in the circles that he traveled in, which is academic circles that they were very anti-semitic. I don't think that's uh that's a particularly now something that's controversial to say, right? So he had a very personal aspect to this as well both as an american and as an american of jewish descent yes right and that's what he also mentions right he's like we have a competitive advantage which is that we're not anti-semitic yeah right like we can get all those people that they will disregard all those excellent physicists and we can just bring them over yeah and uh again that's one of those things where it's the individual's motivation right and the the rationale and the reason for the decisions he made and more importantly how he lived with the consequences of those decisions yeah that's that's this, that's what this movie is about and and there's no one who has who has made such a fundamental gear shift forward in the last 100 years 200 years like like oppenheimer did exactly um and speaking of oppenheimer i think like we can't continue this conversation without talking about killian murphy oh absolutely so what first a- of all just cheekbones for days <laughs> i mean honestly his I can't like I can't think of someone who would have been better suited for that position. He was he was fantastic. Yeah, amazing, amazing performance, and his look was. So he's 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 handsome. He's dashing. He can play very serene and you know philosophical. But then he also has this charisma and this energy. Yeah, which explains why people are so attracted to him and drawn to him, both of both sexes, right? Yeah, uh, both because of his brain and because like he just exudes that energy that yeah. you want to be with him and you want to be around him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Killian Murphy, he nails it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in uh, Probably an Oscar-worthy performance. In my opinion, he's going to be nominated for actor, best actor. Uh, has hands, to be. Hands down. And I think Damon RDJ get, will be fighting for supporting. Yes. And I think Emily Blunt gets supporting actress. I mean, in my opinion, I, th- I think RDJ is the one who should get the supporting. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 I think Damon also has the opportunity because it's such a small role and he's packing such a punch with it. Yeah. That yeah. They might, like it's kind of like uh, Wolf of Wall Street and how McConaughey, no, McConaughey, McConaughey sorry, yeah. Yeah, got the got the Oscar for that. Like True. it was like thirty seconds. Like his like he's in the movie for like, like a five minutes. Yeah. Like yeah. it's one scene. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of what he's doing in this movie, Matt Damon, is he's just kind of bringing it. Yeah. Like that when he yells at that 
scientist. It's the fate of the goddamn yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, it's cool. the most important thing yeah. in the history of the world. Yeah, or something. yeah. It's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Like, and when you see, it, you're like, hey, yeah. Leonardo and, DiCaprio meme. Like, yeah, and he was actually one of the people in the movie that had some of the funnier lines a couple of times. Yeah, he, he had, had he had some of the wittier lines. Yeah, he um, had some he had some comedy like, yeah. oh, we'll just kill him. Yeah, like, or, or we'll hang you or something. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Like, he just says like very casual. But I think I think I think back to like Killian Murphy. It's very hard to balance like what he's doing in this role. It's a very delicate, Absolutely. delicate role. And like when you're when you're acting against someone like Damon, who's like so gregarious, yeah, you have to be even keeled. But he still comes off as cocky and confident, yeah, right. And that's what that's what the real Oppenheimer was like. He knew he was smart, and yeah. and he didn't mind telling people that he was, yeah. And Killing Murphy exudes that really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could tell. Yeah, I mean his. Yeah, I mean, he kept you hooked on his performance. Yeah, every word time. he said, every you word were, he said, you, you were, were locked, locked in. in. Yeah, yeah, you were locked in on his performance. Um, so most definitely, I think he deserves an Oscar. Yeah, and you can see why. Like, they also did a really good job of like women being really attracted to him. Yes, like all the time, the women are like not throwing themselves at him, but they're you can tell they're like they notice the glint in his eye. You know, they're like, "What's going on there? Like, why is this guy so interesting?" Yeah. And even at the that blue eyes, yeah, it is the blue eyes. The but blue eyes. You know that one scene I really liked is when he, the first time he's talking to Emily Blunt at like that cocktail party. Yep. And that blonde lady walks by. And she's like, "You two okay?" Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah, we're fine, whatever." And then at the end of the movie, you find out that Killian Murphy was also sleeping with the blonde lady <laughs> as well. And you're like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> makes sense." Like Oppenheimer, he was he was ballroom. Right? Yeah, I mean, he was a horrible person, horrible husband. Uh, he was not a great husband. No, and and you know what? That's a great segue to. I, what I think might be the the like biggest takeaway performance. Emily Blunt was amazing. In the yeah, movie. a limited screen time. Super, li- but in that time that she was in, yeah. Again, that's like another McConaughey kind of thing. She was she plays a tortured person, an educated person who, because of her time, is forced to do become a housewife, right? Yeah. Or menial work, and she's angry at the world. She's angry at her situation. Yeah, and. That scene when he comes back and the baby's crying and she's drunk was yeah. harrowing. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was, sad. That was something. And every time they show her with the kids, the babies are crying. Yes. And that there's like a, there's a legitimate reason. There's, yeah. It's because like she's not she doesn't want to do it. Right? Yeah. She doesn't she's want she doesn't it. want to be a mother. Yeah, and she's also dealing very obviously with uh, like alcohol issues. Alcohol issues, and um, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much she knew, but uh, her husband was not really yeah <laughs> was, was philandering all yeah. around and i yeah. think i think playing an alcoholic is something that all great actors at some point in time do like yeah. it's like a thing right it's like an acting thing what she does is she doesn't overdo it like what it does is accentuates the character's passions like she feels that oppenheimer is letting people walk all over him once she gets drunk she just exclaims it more you yeah. know it does it change her character yeah absolutely but I think, I think Emily Blunt just did a very delicate job of playing this character. Like that one scene where she drops her purse and like uh, the flask is in it, and and she has to like put it back. Yeah, in. it just shows you that this woman is struggling. Yes, and no one cares to help her because no. all they care about is the star next to her, which it's is her husband. Exactly, very true. Yeah, it was it was it was a great performance by Emily Blunt. Now, she. I, I reading a few things people are like oh she there was some overacting there or something and I I do not agree I got to say I don't agree I never thought once in the movie I I thought her when she got into the deposition part she was amazing Oh that scene was amazing when she's questioning the questions yeah, and stuff yeah. like rejecting the premise of the I, I mean that was one of the best scenes in the movie 
she's she's angry. She yeah. has rage at yeah. what the system has done to her life, to her husband's life, what they've done to her, his name. Yeah. And she's pissed. Yeah. Right? And she realizes this is the only time I'm ever going to get to lash out. So how often did women at that time get to express their rage at the system? Never. Never. No. I'm not saying it's that much, like it's better now, obviously, but still, people don't get the avenue to express their anger at these things. Yeah. And she did. And she did. She had the... That was a great, yeah, that was a great deposition scene. I, I think her. that deposition scene is one of those classic scenes that like 10 years from now, people will go back and watch on YouTube. Yeah. You know, it's uh, kind yeah, of like, sure. have you ever seen Charlie Wilson's War? No. There's a fantastic Philip Seymour Hoffman scene, his intro scene in that movie. I go back and watch it once a month. Oh, yeah. It, it's amazing. He's just him yelling yelling at his boss <laughs> it's so good okay that's yeah i'll talk to you i'll send you that to you yeah, send me that scene, yeah, yeah. Actually. um so we got to, we talked to lee murphy we talked emily blind let's talk about the kind of the third prong of this trinity huh? ah. um, rdj rdj so rdj is doing a lot here in this movie he's yes. entirely black and white he's got or mostly black, like most of black and scenes, white yeah. and he's got a lot of makeup on right and he is playing such a slimy washington dude yep and he does it so well. He was, see, like, I knew he was a good actor, right? Mm -hmm. But you kind of forget about him as an actor um, when he spends, like, 15 years in Marvel. Dude, he spent 10 years wearing a helmet cam. Exactly. And you're like, yeah, yeah love this dude. Love this yeah. But, like, you never saw him, like, that's not acting, acting. It's, it's not the just, same kind of acting. It's not the same acting. kind of acting, right? Uh, but this was him pure, purely acting, and I was really in for it. I really, really enjoyed his back and forth with that White House aide when they're trying to get him through the committee to get confirmed, and that one guy is continually challenging him. Yeah, and yeah talking yeah. back to him. I don't know the actor's name because I don't know the character's name. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I love when RDJ gets to spar with people verbally. Yeah, yeah, because he's really good at. The quick responses. Exactly. He's witty. They're, he's naturally witty. been like that. Yeah. And like Tony Stark, we know, is like that. So when yeah. he gets the opportunity to do it in a cutting fashion, yeah. it's it's awesome. And speaking to that, that scene when they're like around that dinner table with the centerpiece, remember that they have to move? Love and, it. And they have to determine like, did the Soviets just test a bomb? What do we do? Et cetera. Yeah. Uh, that scene is awesome because RDJ gets to kind of hold court and yep. he gets to be witty and he gets to argue and he gets to complain. And it's that's just RDJ in his natural element. Yeah. And the, so the one thing that surprised me um, is how much we saw of RDJ. Um, and it was, he had a, he had a large, I mean, a, apart from Killian Murphy, who was essentially in every frame, mm -hmm. um, RDJ was the second most seen character in that. Like he was, he was quite prominent. And from the trailers, I all I thought of it as oh he's he's it seems like RDJ is playing a very minimal character because mm -hmm. they didn't show uh, him at all really uh, in the teaser or the trailers that much like a couple of scenes of him in the trailer maybe if not just one yeah um, so seeing a large part of him it was um, he actually had quite a bit of screen time in this movie more than even say Matt Damon and Emily Blunt and stuff who had more screen time in the, in the well, trailer I, I think he's the primary kind of antagonist right yeah to he's the one who's trying to break down um he's the one who's trying to break down the whole public persona of oppenheimer yeah. because of a perceived slight 10 years prior you know yeah. making fun of him because of the isotopes and and that that whole thing yeah, yeah and again it's it's one of those interesting things my my wife was commenting on this she's like ultimately it's like it's the 
the emotions of man that causes the downfall of this whole thing. Yeah. Right? It's it's one man's greed or one man's envy that causes him to destroy another man's public standing. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also there's a whole bout of there's a whole bout of like power and addiction to power and all that stuff. But you're right in a sense that he is the co-main star of this movie. Yeah. At least for the second half of the movie, he's in it more than Killing Murphy is. Yeah, essentially. The, the second half, like yeah. the whole black and white part is essentially just him. Yeah. He is the guy who's anchoring it all. Absolutely. And you can tell kind of with the uh, promotion too. He did a lot more of the promotion than Killian. Killian Murphy is not one of those guys who does promotion. Yeah. RDJ was everywhere. He'd wired 10 questions. He did, He did. you know, the GQ, like going through my rules. Yeah. Like he did all yeah, that stuff. Him and, him and Nolan did the uh, Google most searched questions or whatever. Or uh, Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. The... Um, the other thing about this movie was the um, surprise appearance of Rami Malek. Did, I, you, did you know about him going in? So I heard that he was in the movie, but I thought it was like a classic Nolan thing where he would be like a butler yeah. <laughs> for, for like, ha- like you'd see half his face and he'd be like, whoa, Rami Malek, sick, you know? Um, I, I had no idea he was in there. So he comes in the, in the first, like his first few scenes when he was in, mm-hmm. he didn't have a single line. Yeah. And I was like, it's just literally, he he's literally in for like a few scenes where he's handing a paper over or sitting next to a guy and he doesn't have any lines. And then he has a few lines in the, dep- in the deposition in the courtroom after. Um, so I, but I was like, he, man, this, this is a big actor. He, but he was so good in that role. He was really good in the, the end, role, yeah. The way he just destroys Strauss. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, it was amazing. But it was such a, it, but the, it just reminded me again, I was like, what these like, the privilege Nolan has <laughs> with these, or the privilege they feel they have to work with him. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you look at that, that, yeah. that's a that's an Oscar winning yeah. actor who's in the movie for maybe eight scenes and has probably ten lines of dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Crazy, insane. Um, if you look at if you look at the like the actors in this movie, <laughs> it's like the who's who of massive actors and yeah. then you have people who are in it like for very small amounts of time but they're huge like florence Pugh's is a massive star yeah massive star this char- this role isn't anything special but no. she gets to be in a chris nolan movie exactly right and i i don't like this characterization i don't like the way she's written i don't like the way her lines are she's my least favorite part of this movie but still he got florence Pugh to do it exactly <laughs> like that's i don't and the thing that it comes i don't think these actors when Nolan calls them with like, hey, I have a script. I don't think they care about the script. I think they're like, yeah, I mean, I don't care what you want me to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah right. So I'm pretty sure Florence Pugh was a yes before she even read her part. Absolutely. Yeah. She was a yes before. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is a yes at this point. Like if yeah. he asks you to be in a movie, you can guarantee that you're getting a few things. A summer release, a global Audience. premiere yeah. kind of premiere schedule with all of the fixings when it comes to promotion right you don't see that in every movie anymore you know around the world you're gonna people are gonna see this movie and you know it's gonna kick your career up to another level like there are very few movie movie makers of this ilk anymore exactly and we're seeing two of them this weekend greta gerwig and and chris nolan and greta gerwig is still getting up there she's not there yet she's not there yet but nolan like Nolan's been there. <laughs> but he he makes what? When was the last movie he made? Tenet? Tenet. What was that? Two... 2020. 2020. But that was delayed as well. Well, 
initially it was 2020. I think it got, did, it, did it get delayed to 21 because of COVID? Yeah, I think so. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Or so, wasn't it 19 and then it got delayed? Something like that. Because he typically it typically takes him like three or four years to make a movie, right? Yeah, because he had Tenet in 2017. Uh, he usually has like a three to four year span, right? Like Tenet 2017, Interstellar 2014, mm-hmm. Dark Knight 2012, Inception 2010. So yeah, two to three year span, yeah. three or three, four years. Um, the other guy who I want to quickly mention, um, I don't know if you noticed him. I doubt you noticed him because um, he was in for one scene. I think he had one line. Um, a former NHL player. Who? Named Sean Avery. Sean Avery was in this movie? Yes. What? He was the weatherman in the tent. Oh, but Before yeah, they were about yeah. to hit the bomb and they were worried about the weather. That's so random. Why? He was he was the weatherman and he called in and uh, asked something about the weather. And that was literally, he had maybe one maybe one more line and that's it. He Why is he in scene. this movie? I don't know, but he was there. You know who I really liked in this movie for like one scene? Gary Oldman. Yes. As yes. Harry Truman. <laughs> Gary Oldman. I don't, even think, I don't even think he's credited in the movie. Like I'm okay. He is. He, he is. is yeah. Good, yeah. He he was so good as. Oh my gosh, he was awesome. So good, and the way he, the way he just. So what? Traps on people. Gary Oldman scene when he was because uh, he was playing Truman. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So when when uh, when Gary Oldman was on screen, uh, I was uh, I was watching and I was like, why does this like I know it's Truman whatever and he's in the makeup and mm-hmm. to look like Truman but why does the actor look so familiar? Yeah. And then after the movie, you said, oh, do you like that uh, serious black scene or whatever? Yeah. I was like, there you go. That's who it <laughs> That's is. That's what I told my wife, too, in the movie. I'm like, that's yeah. serious black. She's like, oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, when you say it's serious black, suddenly you're, everyone realizes. Because that serious yeah. black is such an iconic, like, the way he dresses and the tattoos yeah. and everything yeah. is so iconic. So people just remember who he is. Uh, I I just, I can't get over that, that he's in this movie. And Though his last line where he's like, don't let him in here. Don't let that crybaby in here. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, and the, what he said, I actually thought about it for a second. Uh, what he said actually made me think. Because uh, if you remember when Oppenheimer says, I feel I have blood on my hands. Yeah, and yeah. he says, the world doesn't care who made the bomb. Yeah, he's the world, absolutely right. The world cares who dropped it. Yeah. And I dropped it. He, he says yeah. where, where it came from and who dropped it. And he's like, that's me. Do you yeah. think the guy in Japan cares who made the bomb? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. They know I did it. I dropped it. Yeah. I gave the order. That yeah. was a very powerful scene. Yeah, it was a very powerful scene. When I when he said that, I was like, yeah. I also think that that scene was exceptionally powerful to show you like the difference in power that Oppenheimer has amongst a room full of scientists versus a room full of, well, a room of politicians. Yeah. Right. Like people, people on the scientific side adore him. He's a rock star. Yeah. But on the politics, politics side, they don't really care for him all that much. They, they, they he served his purpose and yeah, it's kind of kick him to the curb. Now. I mean, his purpose was like, and that, and that, that, that exact what you're saying was seen when the mom's done and they packed it up in the trucks. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Killian Murphy or Oppenheimer is asking Matt Damon's character. Oh, it's like, what's going to happen now? Blah, blah, blah. And Matt those Damon, are the two bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, fat man and little boy or whatever. Yeah. That's what the, the, the so you remember how, um, throughout the movie, they're doing that that visual gag where they have the two goldfish bowls. Yes, and they're putting in the the pebbles to yeah. signify how much uranium that they've mined or produced so far. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was, I love that, that. Was, that was really cool. And what was crazy about that is you later learn, or I guess you figure out based on the shapes of the bombs that they're putting away in the back of the truck. But I'm pretty sure those two bombs are the, then the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs that they are. get dropped. Yeah. yeah, that and that. Whole, through those, the movie. those those are the two bombs yeah that dropped. Those, throughout the whole yeah. movie i 
like I realized it, but the whole movie you're you're assessing their uh their progress through how many like pebbles they're putting in the bowl, right? And it gets higher and higher. Yeah. And you don't realize that really what you're doing is you're assessing up until the point where hundreds of thousands of people are gonna lose their lives. Exactly. Yeah. And in most movies, like Moneyball, for example, it's like you're so hype. It's like it's you're, you're winning a championship. Yeah. But in this movie, you kind of get excited about them like doing accomplishing this thing, and then you realize like what's the outcome? The outcome is horrible. Yeah. And I think there's no better time than to talk about what is probably going to be the most memorable scene of this movie. Absolutely, we which, can't forget to talk about the main thing. Yeah, which is why they were in New Mexico in the first place. Yeah. Um, it's the explosion. Yeah, which Nolan was very keen on um showcasing in the right way this is a national emergency detonator charge and he but he didn't reveal anything about how he did it he, he, hasn't, he, about, hasn't, yeah. he hasn't mentioned anything we know it. all we know is that it's practical yeah um do we know how he did it what they did no uh, what skill was it done at? don't have any idea um i think i think that framing that scene though it was really 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 pressured up with the music the tense music the pace of the music's increasing all of the characters are stressed josh peck from drake and josh remember yeah, he's doing the key yeah. thing and like his like sweating his hands over the red button like yes. to cancel it yeah and you know all of the different teams there's like one team that's cl- like medium range one that's far range and one that's far far range the way they're all preparing uh and you know what's coming everyone knows what's coming but then when it finally hits yeah there's i i've never had an experience like that in a movie no way yeah because what when it hits it's silence complete silence complete like silence. pin drop yeah it's pin drop silence in the theater when it hits and um there's no there's no music there's no you know and the sound wave doesn't come at you until after it's exploded exactly uh, for like 15 seconds at least um so then all you were seeing was a ball of fire yeah that's all all you see is a ball of fire and then it's almost like someone hits unmute and the the sound wave hits yeah and the sound of it just and, and i think this is back what we were talking about that full circle piece so the the bomb goes off the initial blast of light happens and then everyone kind of gets up and they have these special lenses to look and they are yeah. goggles or whoever based on who you are and oppenheimer sees those images that he's been seeing for the last 25 years yeah of vision of the sparks connecting of of the atom splitting right yeah. and that's where he has his his eureka moment i guess or his realization of like i did it and now i can't put it back the toothpaste can't go back in the tube yeah it's out now everything has changed yeah to display all of that with no dialogue and just visuals of an explosion was brilliant yeah it was amazing that that it was done to such a like it it was so detailed and so like perfectly adapted i don't know it so was... right after that scene i like so because that scene is so bright at a certain point when it ended i did a quick like glance at our row and everyone in our row so all of our friends and family were all in awe yeah. we were all just like mouth agape like whoa yeah. what did we just see yeah and no no amount of omar and i talking about it can really do this explosion justice yeah no no it can't i i it's funny I really wanted to contrast this with Mission Impossible in a sense that 
we were we all knew what Oppenheimer was about, so we all knew at some point there was going to be an explosion. Yeah. Particularly knowing that Nolan is who Nolan is. Yeah. Contrast the way that was handled with the way the bike jump was handled in Mission Impossible, where we got probably like twenty five to thirty minutes of like YouTube content about the jump. We got interviews. We got so many clips. Compared to this, we're nothing. Yeah, we, we just all anticipated there was going to be one. Yeah, and and the impact is so much different. You know, I just it's it's unquestionable how like this moment in this movie we knew was coming for a year. Like, oh, it's about Oppenheimer. He develops the bomb. They test it. There's going to be an explosion scene. We know that. All right. Yeah. There's no need to give us months of preamble. There's no need to give us months of here is how we did this practical effect. Yeah. Here is it's gonna be the most amazing cinematic experience mm-hmm. of your life. Well, you know, like there was nothing like that for two. You just you knew what you're gonna get, and you're gonna see it in the theater and get surprised in the moment. Yeah. And yeah, I I couldn't help but think about Mission Impossible too after seeing this because I was like, look, these are both hyped movies. Um, One is obviously lower brow. Like Mission Impossible is obviously a lot more. It's not as like film bro-y right it's, it's not a, film a bro-y, lot yeah. more like common like average people who don't go to the movies all the time will go watch mission impossible for exactly oppenheimer. yeah uh whereas oppenheimer is and and i mean you see that even in, in terms of the barbenheimer race in terms of barbie yeah. oppenheimer it's like the average person is going more to barbie absolutely uh, but the film lovers are gonna are waiting out for oppenheimer first right um the it's yeah the comparison was because the hype that mission impossible built up i was like Okay, whatever. Now I'm in the movie. I, I've already seen all this on YouTube for to, uh, for three months leading up to the film. Yep. Uh, and with this, it's like this is a moment that I know is coming, but I've seen nothing of. Yeah. Nothing of, and it really hit. I I just I can't I can't I can't put into words that feeling of seeing something in a movie that you expect it to happen, but when it does happen, it blows everything out of the water. Yeah, when the first sound wave hits after the bomb, I don't know about you, but I jolted in my seat. I did too. Yeah. And uh, I know there was a point where it was quiet. Yeah. Because when he he, he says the dialogue as well, the line from the Bhagavad Gita, which is, I'm I'm now death, the the, the destroyer of people. Yeah, destroyer of worlds. Destroyer of worlds, yeah. Um, So that line comes, and then after that line, we get the sound wave. It it, it was yeah. it was a visual treat, yes. and I think experiencing it in IMAX was absolutely the right way to do it the first time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think overall we can't sing this movie's praises enough. I'm sure we will have more critiques of it when we see it a few times, uh, when we see it at home, when we see it in parts. But in terms of watching it one time, a three hour sitting, we got out of the movie at like one. 1 a.m. to 1.30. And all of us stood outside and we just talked about it. Yeah. So it is thought-provoking. It is engaging. And ultimately, when you have this number of people who are excellent at what they do, actors, directors, cinematographers, musicians, writers, it's rare to have such a high-quality piece of work in this fashion. Yeah. the, the, The emphasis I want to put on this movie is... See, generally, you leave an Nolan movie. You leave a movie like Inception, Interstellar, um, even Dunkirk, even Tenet. You leave movies like that, and you come out and, like, you talk to your friends. You have, like, dialogue about, oh, what was this? What was that? Did you get this part? Did you get that part? There's so much to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, when you see this movie and you leave, there's so much to talk about, yet there's so much for you to internally think about. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what this movie is all that's what about. So that's why like, I woke up this morning thinking about the movie again. Yeah. And I was just inter- and I've been thinking about the movie ever since I've seen it. It's just internally or thinking about it. Or you end up on like a rabbit hole yeah. on and this is, Yeah, and this is the first time ever since seeing the movie that, that we're getting into like, oh, that I'm getting into a deep conversation about the movie because, um, yeah, we talked a little bit about it after the movie yesterday. Like, oh, it was like, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. The way he presented the story was really cool. And, uh, but, you know, how it like internally makes you like think is not something that I've talked about because it's what he does. And the one thing Nolan says with his movies is um, that he tries to find resonance with audiences. Yeah. He wants to, the endings and everything are really important to him because he wants us to leave uh, and see how much the story resonates with us. And I think he did his job well in this one. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there are going to be a lot of people who are now suddenly interested in a non-proliferation, non-proliferation treaties for like nuclear weapons. And exactly. Like, yeah, and like let's talk about Salt One and Salt Two treaties in 1980 with Ronald Reagan and all yeah. that fun stuff. I mean, both of us have uh, done degrees in university where we've done more yeah research and stuff into non-proliferation treaty and understanding the nuclear race and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think people who don't have that. Yeah, if you're worried about either. nuclear weapons, I recommend you don't read about the fall of the Soviet Union. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. the number of nuclear sites they had that then went, you know unsecured for yep. a long time yeah yep. just don't read about that <laughs> uh, oh i i put my letterbox in for this already i gave it four and a half stars yep uh nothing I less think, yeah yeah i think i think my only weak point again was the way kind of florence Pugh was written and some of those some of that aspects of that i didn't really love but that that was she was in what three scenes very little four scenes yeah very little i did like the gag about the flowers that i found really funny that was funny yeah. i don't know why i found that so funny it was yeah it was i think that's the one i, I think i think i found it funny because she never once is like bring me flowers or like anything yeah. like that and he just does it and he's like and, she, and she's like you should know i hate flowers and it's like he's just kind of like how <laughs> <laughs> i found that funny like yeah. that was like yeah. The plight of man, even in the thirties. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But I didn't I didn't I thought that character could have been like you could have given her one more scene to explain why she was the way she was towards Oppenheimer. Like they had such a fractious relationship, but it doesn't really explain why they had such a relationship, you know? It's like they slept together once and then they hate each other and like each other. I don't I didn't get that. Well, they slept. To, they sleep together, and like he doesn't show much of it, but it's uh, implied that they're in a relationship. For, yeah, for for now for some time. I don't know how what the time frame was, but sometime they were because they were seen together a few times yeah, and yeah. things like that. So they were definitely in a relationship. Um, why their relationship was so tumultuous, I don't know. I yeah. think I think you could have also just done the the classic. I think her well, not not the classic, but there's the whole piece about the man who's who's so obsessed with his work that he can't give any of his personal life attention, including the people that he, like, or the woman that he loves. Yeah. That's a pretty classic trope. And I think um, that happens pretty regularly. I, I, I think also though, her characterization, her death was meant to provide more paranoia to Oppenheimer, right? Because he believed, like, that could have been a conspiracy, that the government could have killed her. Yeah. Because right? yeah, she was yeah. a communist. And I think... I think that's another kind of piece her her role plays. I think Florence Pugh in and of herself is a very electric actress and I'm there for her in any movie that she's in. If you haven't seen Midsommar, I've seen Midsommar. Do it. Yeah, yeah. like anyone who hasn't, please do it. Um, I kind of hope that she gets another chance in a Nolan movie though. Like I would love to see her in another Nolan movie. Yeah, for sure. Because she's just a young, vibrant actress who, who can do a lot of different things. She can be comic, she can be serious, she can be funny, she can be yeah. action star, you know? What we know about Nolan is that 
Um, he does tend to go back to some of the same people. Oh my um, God! In this movie, he had so many of the same people. Exactly. So so many. I mean, Florence Pugh could be on that list now moving forward. Uh, whether it's another small role, whether the role gets bigger. Like, I mean, to be fair, I don't see Nolan ever doing like um, a movie where I guess a female is a lead lead. I want. I want to see that though. I think I'd like that to would see be that. So interesting. It'll be interesting to see, but he just it doesn't. His uh, lead characters are always handsome men who wear suits or like nice clothes if you think about it like those are always his leads like james bond is perfect for him james bond is perfect <laughs> for him but like the, and then the first the only time he really changes it is in tenet where the handsome man is black but he still has robert pattinson doing the same thing yeah. you know and the, the whole point is like that's his avatar that's how he sees himself he always wears a suit he's always dressed like that that's how he, he i feel like the way he visualizes movies is like he's he's in, he's in like a first person shooter yeah. he needs to be in the driving seat for him to make the movie and i don't know if he can he can i would love to see him try to make a movie with uh like emily blunt as a lead or florence Pugh as a lead or even like you know who's a good actress who hasn't gotten a lot of great roles angelina jolie like it would be great to see someone like that given a nolan budget you know because because our we have a lot of stars who, like Zendaya even, we have a lot of stars who are women who don't get the budgets. Honestly, Margot Robbie. She's a good actor, Just do man. it. Yeah. Just do it. And and people, she gets, everyone's like, oh, yeah, but like, oh, she's Barbie and she's, uh, what is it called? Harley Quinn. But have you guys seen Focus? Have you guys seen Wolf of Wall Street? She has range. I, Tonya. I, Tonya. She has range. She's got range. You just got to give her... If even, you don't, even Babylon, honestly. But you can't complain about women's movies if they don't get the opportunity in the roles and the scripts, you know? It's like, give them the opportunity and they will knock it out of the park. Barbie's an example. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's an example. Yeah, but, um, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I think he, they would flourish in his movies. I, I think, I, I, you know what? Instead of doing a James Bond, Chris Nolan, heist movie. Because, yeah. like, he, in most of his movies, there's a heist. Yeah. Whether it's a dream heist, <laughs> right? Or like a tenant reverse okay. time heist. Yeah. Give me a normal, regular, like, let's rob a gold bullion store or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I would love to see Nolan do that. Yeah, me too. Honestly, I would. You know who else would be actually good in his movies that I would like to see a good actor in his movie? Ryan Gosling. Yeah, well, Gosling is just awesome. Yeah. He's... But he's just so in love with Eva Mendes and he just loves his kids so much. Like, he doesn't need to work. He just, <laughs> he's just like, I love my wife. I'm just going to. To do a movie here and there. And yeah. Then, He's yeah. like, ah, oh, my kids are going to go to private school in LA. It's so cheap. <laughs> I guess I'll take five mil, I guess. <laughs> Fine. Ugh. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, but that being said, yeah, because Nolan, uh, he does, he, he likes going back as, to his repeat actors. If you see something he really liked in Florence Pugh in the little limited time she got on screen, like, yeah, that's how Killian Murphy made it slowly up to. Yeah, he's been in uh, he's been in like every Nolan movie pretty much. Batman Begins, yeah. and he uh, he tried yeah. out for Batman, and they were yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it won't work, but you can try Scarecrow, and he yeah. worked out. Yeah, I think uh, also, I'm surprised that Tom Hardy wasn't in this in like a random one scene, like one of the guys in the deposition in the corner. Yeah, just because he's a classic. But he 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 is so weird, man. Tom Hardy is just a weird dude. I can't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't see Tom Hardy working in this movie. No, but even as even, like, even as one of the side guys, I don't see him working. I, I think he can't work in it because he's too big of an actor now. Yeah. Like, but like, I could totally have seen him like ten years ago. He could have been a dude with a thick German accent. I could have totally seen that. Really? I just don't know if he has the acting chops for that. I think he does. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. I think okay. he does. Yeah. After right. Bane, come on. Dude, he did. He did do really well with Bane. He was born yeah. in the dock. <laughs> it's just he's one of those he's one of those actors that like um 
I mean, he's been in like some good movies and stuff, but like he's never one of those actors where I've been like, oh, what an actor, you know, like what a great actor you are. Like he's been in Venom, he's been in Mad Max, he's been in Dark. Hey, but in Venom, he's going for it, okay? In Venom, (laughs) that's not easy to do. He he was in Dunkirk, but like how much acting did he was a he was a pilot who was who had again like a whole mask and stuff over his face. Yeah, and the helmet and stuff like you barely saw his. He's face one of those movie. dudes who's yeah. so handsome, but apparently hates being handsome. Yeah, <laughs> he's like I'm just gonna put a mask on every time. Like every time Nolan has him in the movie, he's like masked up or something. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so Omar, we have gone on about Oppenheimer. Um, I think you recommend this movie. I think I recommend this movie. Do you have any closing thoughts about what you think, what you feel? My closing thoughts are. Christopher Nolan wrote this script in the first person. Yeah. Um, because he wanted us to understand Oppenheimer's viewpoint in this movie. And when you go into this movie, um, don't go into it expecting a lot of science. Don't go into it trying to be like, I want to understand the science. Go into it trying to understand the human. Yeah, this is a yeah. this is a psychological yeah. film more yeah. than anything, an emotional film. And that's and... what, yeah. And I think couple that with Nolan's cinematography and you're going to be hooked. We were hooked for three hours. You are literally hooked from the moment the film starts from scene one up until the final scene. You're actually like, it's, it's a go-go movie. A lot of times you watch a three hour movie and you think, oh, there's going to be a dull phase here. It's a go-go movie, but it's mostly just a movie of people talking in rooms. Exactly. Mostly men talking in rooms. Yeah. Literally. And my wife was telling me, apparently it only took 56 days to shoot. For those uh, scenes of them talking. The whole movie, yeah. 56 days. The whole movie only took 56 days to shoot. Yeah, according to my wife. I don't have that confirmed in any sourcing. I think she she read it online, but 56 days. But so that the entire, um, what they did, the explosion in New Mexico and stuff. Um, what was it called? Los, um, uh, Los Alamos. Los Alamos. Was that a set they built for the movie? I think they built it, yeah. But okay. talking, like 56 filming days, you know, filming like days. it doesn't include like production and all that stuff, right? Pre-production. Yeah, yeah true, Because that's what you do in pre-prod. You, you build up you build the sets, the, and, the all sets and all that. Yeah. But all right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, look, go watch the movie. Please rate, subscribe, tell your friends to watch the movie and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye.